Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. It's Ohana Sunday, and today we say aloha and congratulations to our graduating seniors. First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chan delivers the message. It's one that doubles as a commencement address and Sunday sermon. And it's a graduation season once again. And this is the service where you've seen we commission our high school seniors and those going off either to college or into the marketplace or into the military or into uh, taking a gap year off. And we get to pray for them and bless them. And this is a season where schools all over the nation, uh, universities, secondary schools, have commencement addresses. Uh, This is when famous people and celebrities and people of great accomplishment are asked to speak. At one graduation, I heard former Microsoft executive uh, Steve Ballmer speak, who is now reportedly the wealthiest NBA uh, team owner. At another graduation, I heard Chicago Mayor Richard M. Daly speak. And, and both addresses were okay. Um, maybe bordering on boredom, uh, bordering on boredom for me. Um, but I'm not bitter. I just want to point out that this is also the season when no one, no one asked me to give an oration at a graduation. Not bitter at all. But you all are stuck with me, and I have the microphone. So I'm going to give you the commencement address I was never asked to give. My, um, my friend uh, John Ortberg uh, gave what is, I think, the shortest commencement speech in Westmont College history, 10 minutes, and even asked the students to put them on a timer on their phones. And the students all cheered at the end of the 10 minutes, much to their happiness and much to the chagrin of the administration who thought they would get a longer talk since they flew John in. Um, I once gave a talk at a chapel talk at Westmont College, and 10 minutes into my talk, there was a power outage. And we were all in the dark, and the sound system went down, and it's the story of my life. And maybe they were trying to give me a not-so-subtle message that after 10 minutes, like, you're done, Dan. But the lights and sound in this room are still on, so you are truly stuck with me. Real funny, you guys. It was, it was a setup. They didn't really do no. So as a way to begin my commencement address, uh, which will encourage you high school seniors, I hope, and anyone else who is listening, that you can be a superhero. So in case you haven't seen the film, Shang-Chi, as, uh, no, also known as Sean, and his sidekick, Katie, are just two ordinary car valets in San Francisco. But one day, while on a bus, everything changed after Katie learns that her friend Sean, her valet friend, is anything but ordinary. And this scene leads them into a whole new adventure that brings them into a life of protecting others. Now, clearly, I'm not for violence. Uh, And actually, this is the world's view of superheroes. Uh, But what Christ calls us to is quite different. However, it is a metaphor that life is a spiritual battle and there are forces that desire to hurt our loved ones. And we are called to respond with the strength of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural gifts God has given us. 
It reminds me of the kind of adventure Christ invites us to pursue every day, uh, but hopefully without any bus fighting through San Francisco, of course. I want to read to you a passage from the Apostle, letters, uh, Apostle Paul's letter to a church in Philippi, which is in an area called Greece today. And it was the passage in our lectionary that was assigned to this Sunday, and it fits perfectly for today. So, what are the real gifts we have to live for God? So please stand as I read this passage from Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And here's what it says. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years, eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yet everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Fascinating passage in so many ways. Like the Apostle Paul, many of you have been privileged to receive your education, whether presently or in the past, or in person or online. You are privileged to live in America and the best state of America with clean air and water and with people who live with aloha. And many of you have had the good fortune to be raised in a Christian community. Many of you students have achieved a lot in school or as an adult, and maybe you got awards or tremendous recognition. But the Apostle Paul tries to put things in perspective, both the good and the bad that we have done. 
Notice he begins by saying basically, I am a real good Jew. I was circumcised at the right age. I'm a pure blood Jewish man, not a muggle or a half mixed plate. No, I'm pure pedigree Jewish. And to boot, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin, the best of Jewish tribes. And I was a Pharisee, the most elite of the elite in terms of knowing and teaching and enforcing the Jewish law and following it to the T. Kind of like the Navy SEALs of, of Jewish law. And he said, I obeyed the law without fault. I was perfect in obedience, so much so that I even persecuted the Christian church that would dare preach a religion contrary to Judaism. So he, he's saying, what a resume. But then comes a real shock. It's like Paul hits the brakes and you fly through the windshield. Paul says, all of this, being born in the right ethnicity, in the best tribe, with the right education, with the right status and accomplishment, and being a strict abider of the Jewish law, he says, it's all rubbish. Or some commentators translate the word rubbish as actually doo-doo. The word in Greek is skubala. Now, at this point, you high school seniors and your parents are saying, Wow, what a downer talk. All of the education and achievement I might have accomplished or paid for is nothing. So I can, can't wait for my email later. Dan, can I talk to you like later? Now, like, hang on. What Paul is saying is that all of what we accomplished is nothing compared to having Christ in our lives. And, and he says, don't forget that. And if we're going to go to work or go to college, after graduation, to achieve more and to make more money and have a great career, Paul is saying that we will ultimately be a life of garbage if we keep it separate from a life of Christ. Jesus needs to be the center of it all or, or else it won't amount to anything. And knowing and following Jesus is what we have tried to teach our keiki, our youth, and adults from day one when they arrive here in our church community. When we hear about Jesus, we discover that God's priorities are so different from the world. We live in a world where media and Hollywood flaunts that fame and riches and status are what is important. And if you are offended during the Oscars, don't turn the other cheek, slap the cheek in revenge. Jesus, on the other hand, said living for God and having a relationship with him is more important and it's going to be more loving and more caring and more fulfilling and blessed. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 633, uh, he said, seek you first the kingdom of God above all else and live right with God and he will give everything that you need everything that you need, not want. And when you live for him, don't do it out of guilt or, or regulation. You don't do it to win salvation by working on it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. You do it because you accept God's grace. You accept his love and then live for him. As Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. So remember that when you help 
Remember that when you help those who are less fortunate than you, the ones who didn't have your advantages or privileges, the poor, the sick, the imprisoned, the stranger in a strange land, the downtrodden. You are doing it for Jesus when you do it for them. And you know in the Bible, certain little words can be heavy with meaning and yet we can miss their significance. Like take the word cling, C-L-I-N-G, not ching, they live down the street, cling. Um, to, so to cling, to, to, hold, to hold tightly or to adhere or stick firmly or closely to or to be faithful to. So cling is a great word and so great that you may not realize that it appears all over the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, so beginning in the Old Testament, if you read in the New Living Bible Translation in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. And then in Joshua, it says in chapter 23, rather cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. And then the poetry in Psalms in 63, 8, it says, I cling to you, Lord. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That's all in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a scattering of the same kinds of verses. In, in Jesus said in Luke 8, 15, and the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. And finally, the apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 19, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And so, students and adults, even if you still haven't figured out this Jesus, please continue the journey to know him more. And when you have failures or achievements, don't compare yourself with others. Focus on Christ. Try to follow him, hold on to him, and cling to him. If we cling to Jesus, it's because he held on to us first. We love him because he first loved us, says the Bible. And you may not know it, but he's been around you a very long time. He was there when maybe you didn't get the grade you wanted or get into the school you or your parents wanted. He was with you when you were sick. He was with you when your parents fought or separated. He was with you when there were some mean girls or mean guys in your life bullying you. He was with you when your loved one died or your pet died, even holding you at that point. And he has been hoping all your life for you to realize that so that you can then cling to him by faith. What Paul is saying is when we know Jesus, everything gets turned around and everything changes. Our priorities change and we want to be closer to him and live for him. Everything gets reoriented and refocused in an extravagant way. And when that happens, then you know you're truly a follower of Jesus, says Paul. Let me read to you a true story in the Bible from the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter. 
and is an example of the extravagant love one has, can have for Christ. It says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary, sister of Martha, took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Sounds very spiritual. Now, he said this because he, um, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. And Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So when you realize how wonderful Jesus is, you will do radical things for him. Can you imagine the love of Mary of Bethany, how that, the love she must have had for Jesus, for her to take costly perfume, which was worth thousands of dollars, to use to worship Jesus. She, he, she knew he was the real deal. And after all, this was a dinner in honor of her dead brother Lazarus, who is now alive due to Jesus. So you can bet there were a lot of RSVPs for that dinner. I would have wanted to be there. It was a day of great celebration. It was like Lazarus was dead and now he's born again. And she knew that Jesus had blessed her and now she wants to show him her wonderful, extravagant love. When you're with Christ, all things become new. You start living and walking in a new direction, like you were once dead and now born again. So as a Pharisee, Paul was a good, moral, religious person. He, he was a rule follower. He was a high achiever, but he didn't know Jesus. But when he did, Paul found purpose and true love, and he wrote these beautiful words that we've heard oftentimes, sometimes at weddings, but it's really about God's love. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is the love of Christ in his heart. 
and it's available for you and for me. He found forgiveness, imagine, for attacking Christians and the Lord's church. He used to rejoice when Christians were killed, but Jesus forgave him for persecuting Jesus and his church. And that's the crazy, amazing love Jesus offers us. No matter what we have done, Christ offers us his forgiveness. Love never gives up, never loses faith. God is always hopeful about us. So, um, maybe you middle schoolers or high schoolers um, or adults, you've done some bad stuff in your life. Or maybe right now you're still struggling with stuff. Maybe it's pornography or, or cutting. But with Christ, there is understanding and forgiveness, and it's a new day to write a new chapter. Always. And with the Holy Spirit, God empowers you to be like Marvel heroes on earth. He gives you supernatural powers when you commit your life to him. The Holy Spirit enters you. Remember at the beginning of the talk, I quoted the Apostle Paul, who said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Actually, am I having sound issues? You know, let's, uh, Vic, can we go to the podium mic? I can hear myself going in and out. I'm using a new microphone, so. Is that okay? Can we switch out? Can I talk on this one? Is this more better? Okay. So, if you think about it, if you watch the Marvel Heroes series, it, you know, they all, the heroes all turn from, from bad to good, from being self-centered to selfless. Um, Iron Man transformed his conceit and wealth to help save the world. And Black Widow was an assassin like the Apostle Paul, who then lived and sacrificed the life for others. And the Hulk turned his anger into love. And Shang-Chi worked through his issues with his father to not be an assassin, but to protect others. Um, speaking of Shang-Chi, you know, two friends in California saw the movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and they called me up so excited to say, hey, the actor Simu Liu, who plays Shang-Chi, not only talks like you, but looks like you. And I thought, oh no, I'll look the same, no. No, um, no, I don't think so. And they could, yes, yes. And so, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, I don't think even close. Probably Simu Lee's friends are saying, you know, you look like this weird pastor in Hawaii named Dan no. But the point is, that I'm trying to make is, you don't need to look like or sound like any other hero. God is making you into a unique hero, and if you hold on to Jesus and live for him, you will have your own supernatural adventures if you allow his Holy Spirit to flow through you. And I'm dead serious. What Jesus was saying in his three years of ministry here on earth before he was killed, is if you allow him to hold you and help you, and you accept his love and cling to him, you can be a superhero and you can help people to know that they can be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually, if you help them realize 
that Jesus has been really close to them all through their life and that they should follow him. You will do heroic things for the Lord, not because you have to, but because you want to. And you will find that being with him and living for him is more fulfilling than anything else. Now, senior hires and middle schoolers, if you're here, hear this. Jesus had 12 disciples. And the custom of the ancient Jewish culture is that for one to follow a rabbi, the rabbi must be older than the disciple. Jesus was 30. So we can assume that the disciples were between 13 and 30. Maybe Peter was the oldest since he was married. Now, why 13 years of age? Well, a young man's, um, a young Jewish man's discipleship normally began between the age of 13 and 15. So some may have joined Jesus as early as 13 to 15. Teenagers. So seniors, you're not too young to change the world. You're the same age as the apostles. And that's why we need to invest in teenagers and young adults. And they're the prime ages to be discipled. And they can learn what is worth gold and what can be a life of refuse or garbage. And then we can motivate them to change the world as the 12 apostles did. You know, sociologist Tony Campolo told of a study of 50 people over the age of 95. And they were asked what they would do differently if they could live life over again. And here's what the majority said, fascinating. Number one, they said they wish they could have ref reflected more. And number two, risk more. And number three, do more things that would live on after they are dead. And Campolo said, if you can't learn from 50 old folks who are over the age of 95, you can't learn from anybody at all. Campolo then cited the scene from one of my favorite plays written in 1937 called Our Town by Thornton Wilder. Might be worth reading again. I just decided to read the whole thing this past week. And uh, the main character, Emily Webb, is given the chance to relive her 12th birthday. And watching her family at that moment, she cries and asks the question, all that was going on and we never noticed, do human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute? And then the stage manager comes on and says, no, the saints and poets, maybe, they do some. And if we had another chance to live life again, maybe we would cherish our family more, maybe our friends more, and our colleagues more, the stranger in need more, and cherish Jesus more to actually see he was always there. So that maybe one day, if we were to see the Lord again, we would want to pour a bottle of expensive perfume on his feet or buy him an expensive wine or 
get him an expensive cake to say thanks for all the times you stood by us and carried us through while we lived. And maybe to say, sorry, we didn't get it. At times we thought it was suffocating, but it was a loving God's helping arms holding us. So whether a senior in high school or a senior citizen or all ages in between, cherish every moment in life. Realize who has been with you all your life and acknowledge and love the Lord back. For by staying close to him and clinging to him, you will always have a life that is blessed and will flourish. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we gather here today thinking of our seniors primarily, and uh, we're so grateful to have had these years with them, um, some for years, some for months, and we do want to pray a blessing on them again at this time, but also, Lord, for us individually, we realize that it is a come-to-Jesus time to think about how much you've done for us and maybe we didn't even know it. And maybe for some in this room or online, it's um, some may might just want to say a prayer right now to say, Lord, I really want to either recommit my life to you or commit my life to you for the very first time because it's all coming together. And, um, and so if you're in that boat and want to say a prayer of commitment, I'd just like to lead you on a very simple prayer that basically says, sorry, thank you, please. And you can say it with me in the silence of your heart. The words don't matter as much as the intention of your heart to say, Lord, sorry that maybe I've ignored you. Sorry that I haven't realized how much you love us and how much you were with me during all those hard times and good times. And I want to thank you for that. But now I want to say, please come into my life in a new, fresh way. and that I really want to follow you. And it's important that I really dedicate or rededicate my life to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if anyone prayed that prayer, um, and it's important, as we've read this scripture, to really make a firm commitment and not be embarrassed. If you would just raise your hand right now and just say, all right, I'm in. I want to commit my life or recommit my life to Christ. And you can just raise your hand right now. Okay, you can lower those hands. Lord, thank you for those who have made that commitment. And thank you for their dedication. In Christ's name, amen. You know, one of the ways we cling to the Lord is through communion and through this 
regular sacrament to remind us of what the Lord did for us. And um, shall we move it in center? Or I'm pretty spotlighted now, but we can move it over. I, I can take one in. Are you sure? Yeah. If we spill the grape juice, Ooh. you're in trouble. I know. <laughs> we go forward a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yes. All right. Are we okay? Yep. Yeah. Nobody can accuse us of being slick, right? It's family time. So, um, but it was a family time. It was a Passover meal, which Jewish people did all the time. And I'm sure, you know, we've made it into a very, and right, rightfully so, a very special um, focus sacrament. But in the original communion, it was up in an upper room, and it was during a Passover meal, which takes over hours. And the Lord transformed that Passover meal into what we today called communion, or some call it the Last Supper, or some denominations call it the Eucharist. And it's our way of really remembering and clinging to the Lord to say thank you for first clinging to us, that we love you because you first loved us. And during the meal, the Lord picked up a cup, and in a Passover meal, there are um, four different cups that they drink. It's the third cup, that's the cup of the atonement, a uh, cup of forgiveness. And some believe that when Jesus said the famous words, every time you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me, he was saying, I'm going to be the atonement. I'm going to be the one through me that you will have the forgiveness of sins. And... Um, and he said, this is my blood now, which is kind of weird maybe in today, 21st century, but it's his way of saying, make sure you have my blood type in you and then you will be blessed. And of course, in any transfusion, you gotta have the right blood to have health. And then he picked up a, a piece of bread similar to this, unleavened, not like a loaf, unleavened bread. And after giving thanks, he then blessed it and broke it and said, every time you drink of this, I'm sorry, drink, every time you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me. Um, and it was to remind us, my goodness, that on the cross, his blood would be, his body would be pierced and um, crucified for our sake. And so that's a, a great symbol and memory we should have of how much he really loves us. And so today, when we, drink of the cup and eat of the bread symbolized by a wafer, we do it um, in memory of him. So in honor of our Lord, he said, every time you take of this bread, do so in remembrance of me, and let's take the bread together. And then in the same manner, he picked up a cup and said, every time you do this, do this um, in honor of me, so let us take it together. Please join me in a prayer. Gracious God, we are so amazed by what you did. You did an extravagant thing by dying on a cross for us. And may our lives be as much, if not more, of Mary Bethany, who would pour perfume on your feet, that what we do in our, in our deeds, in our faith, in our obedience, may they always be extravagant. Um, models of our love for you. Another way you loved us, Lord, is that when you were here on earth, when the disciples, these teenagers ask you, so how do we pray? You taught them a prayer, which we today call the Lord's Prayer, which we will now say together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his grace be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. For you online, aloha, ahui ho. See you next Sunday. Whether you're a high school senior or not, it's always a good idea to keep Jesus front and center in your life. Cling to him every day. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. First Prez invites you to church. There are two ways to worship, in person and online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Koolau campus or at 10 a.m. at the Vine downtown. Or you can watch online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember, when you visit the First Prez website, please sign up for emails for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the websites or call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.